You're out of training and now you're buried knee deep in debt. It was worth it though, right? But figuring out how to pay your way out of it and live a decent life is now the question at hand. Let's talk about why most physicians are making mistakes with their student loan debt and what those mistakes are so you don't make them. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. I absolutely cannot wait for you guys to listen to the show because most of you have a ton of student debt holding you back from your long-term financial goals. Our average client at Physician Well Services has roughly $290,000 in debt. So it's something that we're familiar with, and it's something I want you all to know you're all in the same boat. Some of you decided to go about your loans by saying, I'll figure it out later, and you're probably regretting it. Others of you have learned from the mistakes that others have made, and thankfully, I've got Jan Miller, a student loan expert with 21 years of experience in helping borrowers pay down their debt, on the show with us here. And he's here to share everything from PSLF to refinancing, tax implications on other forgiveness strategies. We go into a ton, and we definitely will go into some on the mistakes that physicians should be avoiding with their student loans. So here to help you with your medical student debt, let's welcome Jan on the show. Jan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you here. And even though student loans are not the most sexiest and fun topics to talk on, I think this is going to be really fun to have you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I am curious, just because I've talked a lot on student debt on the show, With your clients that come through, what's the average amount of debt that you're seeing physicians having? For physicians, typically anywhere from two hundred to six hundred thousand. Usually, it's in the three or four hundreds on average. Okay, yeah, because we're at basically two hundred ninety thousand for clients at uh, Physician Wealth Services. So, yeah, it's a bit different than that widely publicized number of either 170 or 190 that they have changed it to 190 now, but we've got quite a bit higher than that. So I was curious as uh, this is what you do all day, every day, what you, what you see, but on that kind of same topic, what are some of the top mistakes that you see physicians making with their loans? And I think more importantly is then how can they fix those mistakes? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing um, uh, is that they they may ha- be tempted to refinance too early. Uh, the uh, SoFi and DRB and Common Bond and Lower Road and some of these private student loan refinance companies will give uh, physicians the opportunity to uh, refinance in residency, uh, maybe even their second year residency or so forth even though their debt to income is way upside down and normally wouldn't qualify, then they of course know that their income is going to increase and they're going to be good candidates in the future. So they will offer, you know, fairly decent interest rates to refinance loans uh, before they become an attending. And while that might be a good idea in some cases, if there's any chance, of course, that public service loan forgiveness is going to be an option, of course, you don't want to forfeit that ability, uh, which refinance will do. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I don't think a lot of people understand how the repay 
for the revised pay-as-you-earn program, the subsidy works. Uh, you can enter that program, make qualified payments, and have up to almost you know half of your interest waived while you're in residency, since your payment is going to be quite low and a majority of your income is going to be uncovered by your payment. So the subsidy uh, is strong enough and in many cases, so much so that it actually um, can lower your effective interest rate, you know, down into the 4% range. So want to take advantage of that tax-free subsidy while you're a resident. And then once you become an attending or you're about to, you'll be in a position then to determine whether public service loan forgiveness is actually going to be a viable solution for you, or you'll be able to refinance at that time with likely a better interest rate offer. So I think acting prematurely there can cost people not only potential benefits, but the ability to get a better rate. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. And it bugs me quite a bit with the student loan refinance companies that are kind of preying on residents. They have enough things to worry about, like mm. sleeping, which is non-existent. Yeah. I remember when my wife was doing that and it was like non-existent sleep and trying to figure out and, and actually start your career and to learn everything you're doing. And now they're kind of falling prey of like, well, we know you have a ton of debt. Why don't we have you refinance? I mean, some of them are doing it for like a dollar while you're in residency and it sounds terrible in that sense, but they're targeting them and it's uh, frustrating. So I, I'm happy that was your your first mistake that you you highlighted there. What other mistakes do you see physicians making with their debt? Well, I think that they give up on the public service loan forgiveness. So there's a lot of negative media attention around the program. You know, there's a lot of fear around it and a lot of presumption that the program just isn't worth the pursuit too many pitfalls. The government is out to get you. Eventually, they'll find a reason to decline you. Uh, of course, there was the uh, report that came out showing that 99% of the people who had applied had been declined, which wasn't properly understood and actually wasn't a indicator of the, the reliability of the program. No, uh, it, so was a, again, it was a clickbaity you know, title. I mean, it was terrible. Like most of those yes. people, 98% of those people shouldn't have even been applying they didn't even have, some of them didn't even have 120 payments or were in fell loans and didn't have that. I mean, it was. Well, in fact, a majority didn't have 120 qualified payments. It would have been impossible to, you know, yeah. so. The, Only a small uh, fraction would even have been, that would have been available to them and yeah, not 30 some thousand yeah, people. Yeah. You know, the IBR program and pay as you earn weren't even created until 2009, mm -hmm. which means they would have had to be an income contingent repayment for the first couple of years. And, you know, very people, people knew about the program. So there was only literally hundreds of people properly enrolled in that program before 2008, when that 10 years after that report came out. So, or before. So yeah, it was unlikely that anybody of those people were going to be approved. I'm sure you'll see those numbers rise, but, and again, it does seem like a gamble and I understand that, but if you, if it's not going to cost you anything to put yourself in a position to qualify for it, and you have a career path that's going to potentially overlap with it or qualify you, you don't want to prematurely give that up. I definitely agree. And we have a list of questions that were given by our community that we're going to go over coming up And PSLF, of course, is, is one of those questions. Are there any other mistakes you kind of are seeing waving the red flag around here? You know, other than that, there's small things. Um, you know, uh, I think that now what I'm finding is that residents have They've heard, they hear through the grapevine through their own coworkers or what have you, that the basics of the program, you know, but again, there's so much misinformation in there. You just have to do your research and find out or talk to somebody who actually knows because 
for example, the question, you know, most people think they have to consolidate to qualify for PSLF. Well, they may have to, but it's not an absolute requirement, right? So there are a number of little things like that. Or should I consolidate the loans before my grace period is up? Another common question. Hmm. Well, yeah, if you're going to go into repay, that might accelerate your ability to, you know, start receiving the subsidy benefit and make qualified payments for the program. It's the only way to cancel your grace period. So in some circumstances, that can be the right idea, especially when you're starting off at the beginning. But they're complicated questions that are, you know, the, I think the, if I was to, to sum it up, the a common mistake is to assume a one-size-fits-all solution. So my coworker, my colleague was told to consolidate, so I should consolidate. Well, you know, everybody has a, a unique situation with their student loans, and they should never assume their processing and uh, their a plan should coincide exactly. In fact, everybody's is a little bit different. So there's so many factors. So I think that's uh, another uh, mistake that people make is um, not understanding the necessary for individual evaluation. Yeah. So you're telling me personal finance is personal, like mind is blown, but most people don't think of it that way. They don't. And especially with student debt, they don't think of this as part of personal financial planning, really. I think a lot of that is because most advisors don't even understand student debt other than the Dave Ramsey, hey, snowball it and pay it off quickly. And it's like, well, that could have cost you literally, I mean, $100,000 or more by listening to that person. So you should definitely know about more about student debt than your advisor does uh, in that case. Agreed. So if we were to look at some of the questions that the community gave us here, we see a big one. I know we can talk a lot about this one and I'm going to let you go for a little bit, but I don't want to get super in the weeds on it. But the question was, how does my spouse's income and debts impact my options with respects to student debt? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a complicated question I get all the time. The basic answer is, I mean, it, it has a huge impact, of course. However, it doesn't necessarily mean, and this would be another example going to your earlier question, common mistakes that are made. Mm-hmm. One common mistake is thinking that you have to file separately just because you're married. And that's not necessarily true. For example, if both spouses have significant student loan debt in relationship to how much what their income is, then those payments are spread out between the two of you, and it really doesn't impact your total cost that much. Also, it's important to understand the tax consequences of filing separately with your spouse. In some cases, if you're both salaried with similar incomes, you know it might not cost you that much to file separately, maybe a few hundred to a few thousand or a few thousand dollars. Um, however, if one, for example, one spouse has their own business or an S corp or something like that, where they have lots of write-offs, it might cost you ten thousand dollars to file your taxes uh, separately, which would kind of wash out any benefits that the program would have in in many cases. So, filing separately is definitely, again, does require an individual evaluation, and is not always necessary for married borrowers. Another example would be if one of the spouses, let's say, uh, has has loans and the other doesn't, but the one doesn't doesn't have a significant income in comparison. So, for example, if you have a spouse who's attending at $250,000 a year and their spouse only makes maybe thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year as a school teacher or something like that. Well, again, filing separately, is uh, it's not going to affect their payment that much, making it worth the while to do that. So, And then you throw in common property states and all kinds of other uh, scenarios, and uh, it makes it, 
you know, a very difficult question to answer and for certainly an individual one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was wondering if you were going to go at the States and common property, but yeah, I mean, there's so many things that change in this. It was really a loaded question. And one of the reasons why I thought I'd start with it as we're going through this, but great answer. So the next one that we had is, is it worth pursuing public service loan forgiveness or PSLF as everyone's calling it? I've done a lot of shows and discussions on that. But I, th- I think the interesting part of this question was they were asking like, what if you're just starting versus 80, 90 to 100 payments in? Obviously, 80 to 100 payments in, you're going to stay in the program. You're, you're nearing that. But if you're just starting or about to start, you know, is there really a, a threshold difference for you, in your opinion, with pursuing PSLF? Well, no, I mean, starting from scratch, and again, I think that there's a lot of that's based on the concern that the program won't be there in 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a common concern, understandable one that I hear a lot. However, from my point of view, and having been doing this for 21 years now, having worked inside of the industry, everything that's ever come through the U.S. Department of Education in regards to all these programs, this is not the first forgiveness program that's come out. It's just the one that receives the most press. But They've been administering these programs for years, and all the programs are heavily grandfathered in uh, to the law and, and to the federal law and the program. So, and a lot of what makes student loans complicated is the determination as to whether you're eligible or whether you qualify for certain programs can often depend on your original first date of disbursement. Uh, so, when your loan was taken out, when it was paid in full, and uh, you know how old your loans are. The reason why that is important because of the grandfathering so that's built in. So, for example, pay as you earn. If you have older loans that maintain a balance after uh, October 1st of 2007, that's going to disqualify you from pay as you earn, right, the, the program there. That's because of the grandfathering built in. It's designed to protect people and allow them to maintain eligibility for programs that were there when they first took out the loans and that were promised to them. The Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program is no different. Um, In fact, the PROSPER Act, which is the act that has not passed, it was designed to cancel PSLF, has the grandfathering language built in, as did Trump's budget proposal, as did all legislation uh, that addressed it uh, since its inception. So from my point of view, having watched the government follow through with grandfathering without exception, uh, really since 1965 when the Higher Education Act was created, I am very confident it's going to be there. As a result, if you qualify for the program, it makes sense for you in the long run. In other words, you don't have to take too much of a hit with your income or your debt is high enough in relationship to your income to create a significant amount of forgiveness, then you might as well take advantage of it uh, regardless of how far along you are in the program. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that we're not talking about repayment date when you went into repayment, but it's when you're originating loans. Right. That is really uh, and very complicated to understand because if you log into your Fed loan account and let's say you, you got undergrad debt or you had undergrad debt from the past, which is now paid in full, it can still impact uh, whether or not you qualify for different programs because it was not paid in full by a certain date or it's old loan, you know, an old loan that uh, maintained a balance, for example, after October 1st, 2007 then that uh, will disqualify you from certain programs. So uh, to be aware of that uh, is complicated. So when you go to, for example, if you log into your account, let's say at FedLoan or Navient or Great Lakes or Nelnet, 
they're only going to list the loans that have balances. So when you see the list there, you can look at the oldest disbursement date on the loans that have balance. Well, that doesn't necessarily indicate the grandfathering because it doesn't show loans from the past, potentially. Um, that information, by the way, can be obtained at nslds.ed.gov in, in the financial aid summary, um, in which case you have to go down the list, find the older loans and see when they were paid off to see if you qualify. But understanding that, I mean, I probably put you to sleep just with that explanation in its own right. Oh, it's all good. And if you go to the NSLDS site and you want to see what's going on with your student debt, loanbuddy.us allows you to import that NSLDS file and kind of see a clear picture of it that'll actually detail out that info. It's the software that I've kind of put out there for, for everyone to understand a little bit more on their student debt. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it'll help you at least understand well, it a great bit better. Because it's a, such a, a, an awkward website. Right? Oh, it's <laughs> terrible. And then the text file is, you know, 2000 lines of text and it's uh, impossible yeah. to sort and it's, it's ugly. And yeah, there's so many issues with this. It's honestly, it's frustrating being on the other side of it. Cause we, and, my wife had student debt. I mean, we, we refinanced, we've paid it off aggressively, but it's tough. It's a huge barrier. I mean, I see people that are delaying families that are delaying getting married. You know, it's causing a lot of stress and anxiety. You know, I wish there was a better, cleaner way of, of doing this. Definitely. And it reminds me real quick, if I can mention just one other thing that of course. Uh, that physicians do wrong is, um, and this is for all borrowers, they assume that FedLoan or whatever loan servicer that has their loan is going to process their request correctly. Huh, so yeah, I you, wish you have babysit them because they will, I see miscalculations all the time on qualified payments, especially with spouses. And if you don't understand how the formulas work or what your payment should be, uh, you're just going to probably accept what they give you because how would you know better? And it could cost you uh, hundreds of dollars a month on your qualified payment or your total costs sometimes in the thousands, 10,000s, or even $100,000 based on what their actions are. So that's the other thing is, uh, is don't assume that it's correct. Yeah, I'm curious. And I was wondering if you were going to go into FedLoan and I'll call them out. They are the absolute worst. I tell clients, it's like a general telling his troops, we're going into battle knowing they're going to die. When I tell you, you know, clients, hey, we're going to call FedLoan servicing. It's going to be a painful, long conversation is not pleasant. Do you have any tips for anyone that needs to deal with them just to make this easier because it is painful. Well, yeah, I mean, make sure you get a hold of the correct department. So, you know, when you call FedLoan now, you get almost a temp or somebody who can basically answer uh, balance questions. And they're almost like an operator. They listen to you and if they can't answer the question, then they route you to the, I, the income driven repayment department or the PS select department or whatever consolidation or wherever you need to go. There's no battle tested uh, method that will always work when you're talking with them. But you can tell when people know what the heck they're talking about in most cases. And if there's hesitation, you know, if the rep doesn't sound like they have their wits about you, then you, you need to question it right away or call back again. Unfortunately, take the time or again, contact an expert who will know the answer to every question and, and be able to tell you definitively. But and, you know, with FedLoan, because I still recommend that borrowers consolidate with FedLoan or move their loans there if they're doing PSLF because FedLoan cuts out the middleman. They are the, the entity themselves that uh, administers the program and cuts the check for the forgiveness. So, you know, if you're with Great Lakes or Navient and Nelnet, all of them, which are terrible, really, they're all going to be basically very difficult to work with. 
then you might as well move your loans over to Fed loans so that you don't have to rely on an additional entity's record keeping like Nabient or Great Lakes or Mohila or whoever, that it's all done in-house at Fed loan. Another great example of that too with Fed loan servicing, if you're in PSLF, you can't go to your Great Lakes or your Nailnet or your loan servicer website if it's not Fed loan and see your qualified payment total. Um, where you can at myfedloan.org. So if you call Great Lakes, they'll tell you to call FedLoan. They can't even tell you, even if you talk to their customer service, what your PSLF qualified payment total is. So it's an example of of the complexity that having an additional loan servicer in the mix adds. But at the same time, dealing with FedLoan, they should be better, but they're not. Yeah, just having them as the servicer is the issue, much less adding two of basically like them, Cray Lakes and Navi. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be horrible. Yeah, if you're doing PSLF, you're at FedLoan, and even inside their system, it's terrible. We find errors all the time. You know, we're going back and looking at, even if the number of qualified payments is correct, verify the dates that they're telling you that it's correct. We found one where it was three years of residency and, and one year of fellowship was this person. And in three years of residency, they had five payments is what they showed. But then in the one year of fellowship, they were showing almost 40 payments. That math doesn't add up. There's not 40 some odd months in a one year fellowship. Even that little detail, I would get sorted out and and make sure that it's correct because these guys are paying the butt to work with. Oh, yeah. When they audit it, when they actually do the actual, when you send the forgiveness application itself in, once you received all 120 payments, they're going to see that. Now, hopefully they'll be able to make the correction themselves, but why add that additional complication into it? Another example I see all the time, which is unbelievable. You'll see a consolidation loan with the sub and unsub portion of it, right? The two loans. And they'll have different PSLF qualifying payment totals, which is impossible. It's the same loan. But so... When you click on view details and you look at the total, make sure you do it for all the loans. And then it makes sense with all the loans because just because loan number one um, or sequence number one on your, on the website of your loan circuit shows your qualifying payment total correctly. doesn't mean it does for all loans. You have to check all of them, uh, which again is unbelievable that you'd have to do that, but it's an unfortunate reality of it. Nothing surprises me at this point, but So we've given a lot of airtime to PSLF and let's give a little airtime to talking about like if you were to refinance and Mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts on rates aren't going to stay where they're at forever. And as rates go up, eventually refinancing is not going to be that attractive of an option. You know, so what are your thoughts? Is it just math with break evens? Where do you kind of lie on that? Well, you know, the the thing too is, you know, I often tell people it's, it's a commitment you know, once you refinance, you're forfeiting all your federal programs forever and your ability for not only forgiveness, but in case of financial hardship or uh, anything like that. You know, I have a client who was a, um, a surgeon and then was in a car accident and um, now is a, teaches at UCLA and she doesn't make near the money she did. So, you know, it changes everything on what she can afford and, and the best way forward. Had she refinanced, which she did not, uh, she would be in in a lot more difficulty financially having to deal with five hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt with a you know seventy thousand dollar income versus you know what she was making as an attending. So, you know, you see things like that. You want to make sure that you're in a stable financial position. Number one, number two, it's got to make sense by the numbers. You know, like you said, I mean, financially, you 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 want to be coming out ahead despite the potential for forgiveness. 
Um, in some cases, for example, even if you don't qualify for PSLF, let's say, for example, you're in pediatrics or general and you're going to make 150 as an attending and you have $500,000 in student loan debt. Well, there are a lot of arguments to not only not refinance the loan, but maybe even maintain the income driven plans all the way up for the 20 or 25 years for the increased cash flow and for the potential out of pocket costs would still be less than an amortized schedule, despite the forgiveness tax at its worst. So um, in some circumstances, so, you know, you have to take all those things into account. And I know that uh, sometimes refinance can be almost a psychological crutch because then you don't have to deal with all this, you know, recertifying and which program are you supposed to be in and, you know, worrying about the forgiveness and all that. You just refinance it and you pay it off like any other loan. And there's a lot of therapy. It's very therapeutic to do that because then you don't have to think about it anymore. You'll have a larger payment, but hopefully you can afford it. You don't want to give that up too soon before you consider all of your other options because there are many with student loans. So I like refinance when it makes sense. You know, if you're if you're going to be an ER doc and work for a private contractor or, you know, not directly for the hospital themselves, so you don't qualify for PSLF, you're going to make, let's say, 250000 plus um, and let's say you owe two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, you know, then your debt to income is strong. It doesn't make sense for you to do the income driven programs all the way out, and you're in a strong position. Okay, I understand refinancing that circumstances. It's when you get in those gray areas that it often isn't as sweet as the uh, promises sound. Yeah, or that option where you said uh, you're Gen Peds and making one fifty, and you got half a million of debt. That's a tough position to be in. If you're making one fifty. You know, go work in an academic setting and not in right. private practice. And that way you can qualify for something like PSLF because you've three times the more debt or even more than that of your annual income. That's going to be very hard to pay off. You're going to have to stick in an income driven repayment option under that. It'd be way too hard financially to end up doing it unless you're married to someone who's also a high income earner. And then that's totally different. But. And that's the thing. Are you living in a box and are you single and do you eat ramen noodles every day? Or do you have a family with two kids, mouths to feed, mortgages and things like that? Uh, those things all play into that decision making. So I mean, sure, there are some people who can still pay off their loan in a refinance or just by accelerating their payment. You know, if they make 150500 but most won't be able to and won't want to afford that five or $6,000 payment that uh, that one would create even at a lower interest rate. So, yeah. um, but again, you know, there's all, there's every gradations of every circumstance there. And uh, the answer changes as those gradations unfold. Yep. Just for fun, before we end it out here, what's the highest student loan balance that you've seen kind of roll through your, your doors? So I think I, for physicians, it's, Somewhere shy of 800,000, I don't have the exact number. I have three clients that are over 800,000. One that is about to go literally $896,000, about to eclipse 900,000, but those are all dentists. <laughs> mm. But uh, for physicians, usually I see three or 400, and then sometimes five or six, and then you know, the occasional. I have one. Uh, actually, I actually have two couples that are both physicians that owe in combination 1.5 million. So they're both uh, over 700,000 a piece. Wow, that's a lot. 
Husband and wife, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, dual physician couples. I mean, you can't penalize yourself if you're listening to this. You're both physicians. You both have three, four hundred thousand dollars and you feel like that's you know, we have combined seven or eight hundred thousand. Yes, that's a lot of money, but individually that's I think honestly a really normal amount. And I wish it was zero. I know you do right. too, but you know, that's a very normal amount. Don't beat yourself up over it. But well, Jan, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can everyone hear about you and, and Miller Student Loan Consulting? Well, yeah, the best uh, way to, to, to find me is to simply go to my website, which is student-loan-consultant.com. Uh, if you Google student loan consultant, uh, you'll I'm sure you'll find my website there. And uh, yeah, and then go to my website and then there's videos and content and you can set up appointments for consultations and so forth. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on. I'll make sure that we, we link that out in our social And when this goes live, thank you again for being on it. It was a fun time talking with you about student debt. Thanks for having me. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on Life of a Med Student's site titled My Financial Awakening. It's actually a really interesting article because the author discusses his own personal lack of experience, let's say, when it comes to insurance and financial planning and his student loans. And I quote, I realize how uneducated I was. Student loans? Yeah, I've got a couple hundred thousand, I think. Roth IRA? Never heard of her. But I have about 30,000 sitting in a taxable account handed down to me. What do I pay for that to get managed? After wisening up, he realized through self-learning that he could take control over his own financial destiny. This epiphany led him down the path of learning basic knowledge to cover every aspect of his life, including disability insurance and the need for all the riders to make sure it's an adequate policy, life insurance, and please don't fall prey to the whole life sales pitch go term, investments and understanding the long-term market trends and how it affects returns, as well as just maxing out your 401k is the smart thing to do. Even goes into budgeting, a detailed spending plan with intentional spending baked in. Sounds like what I talked about on the dreaded B-word show. And student loans. And consider refinancing, but remember that everyone's student debt is unique to them. And refinancing was specific to the life of the med student and maybe not the best for you. And what I really do like about this article is that since the awakening... I kind of like calling it that he's taken more control over things within his power to, and that's what's helped him get where he's living like a resident until his debt is gone. And in my experience, I see situations like this, honestly, all the time. I have clients who are on the cusp of either their own financial awakening or rather just really needing help getting back to the green. Either way, everyone is in their own unique situation and the likelihood of yours being the same is actually quite high, but you're not the only one experiencing the struggle. Remember that. I appreciate Life of the Med Student's post. I think it is definitely worth your time to go check it out. So go to lifeofamedstudent.com and it was called My Financial Awakening. Many thanks for Jan being on the show. I really hope you guys enjoyed it along with the Journal Club. And there are really just three takeaways I'd really like you to walk away with. Number one, even though you have an opportunity to refinance your student loans and residency, it may not be the best option because you could potentially forfeit the ability to pursue PSLF. Here's what Jan had to say. 
if there's any chance, of course, that public service loan forgiveness is going to be an option, of course, you don't want to forfeit that ability, which refinance will do. Takeaway two, there might be a concern for the PSLF program and how it might not be available in 10 years, but all programs are heavily grandfathered in to the law to protect people. Jan said this on it. That's because of the grandfathering built in. It's designed to protect people uh, and allow them to maintain eligibility for programs that were there when they first took out the loans that were promised to them. Last but not least, number three, don't think that FedLoan or any other servicer is going to process your qualified payments correctly. This is something that I see mistakes on all the time. And this is one mistake you're probably going to be making. And definitely, if you think that they're assuming that they know what they're doing. So I'm glad Jan pointed this out. I see miscalculations all the time on qualified payments, especially with spouses. And if you don't understand how the formulas work or what your payment should be, you're just going to probably accept what they give you because how would you know better? I always like to do a quick community update towards the end of the show here. And we just finished up our first financial residency meetup in San Diego. And I, as well as Taylor, had a blast. There were about a dozen of us in total, way more honestly than I ever first envisioned when I said, hey, let's do a meetup. And it was really great to see everyone and to hear how the show has impacted some of you to make changes in your finances. It's one thing when I get emails, it's others when I get to hear it firsthand. And it got me thinking, I'd really like to highlight members of our community, all of you who are crushing some of your money goals, whether it's big or small. Honestly, sometimes the small ones are the ones that matter the most because they're the ones that actually get us going in the right direction. So if you're a part of either community that we have, uh, Physician Finance or Financial Residency on Facebook, if you're not, please go to financialresidency.com slash community and join us. But if you're a part of it, I'd like to hear from you and I want to highlight you and all the great things that you are doing. So you can message me directly on Facebook or shoot me an email at ryan at financialresidency.com to share that small or big money goal you've hit recently. I think it's amazing that you've decided to join in on the show. And I'm honored because this podcast is about cash flow and budgets, financial goals, investments, student debt, honestly, everything around money and related to it, and the details making those things worth pursuing in life. While these type of topics aren't the sexiest, you're here and that's what matters. I work really hard at delivering great information in the podcast, but here's the catch. I don't know anything about you or your financial needs. So please consult your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before taking any action or making any decisions affecting your hard-earned money. Next week, we have an interesting show planned with a special guest, and that guest is me. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be going over some of the most common questions that physicians have with their retirement plans. So have a great week. See you on Friday. Take care.